Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. My friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, welcome back to another episode, season eight, episode 11, with some thoughts on bonds today. If you didn't check out episode 10, I shared about tech stocks and some of my thoughts on uh, on tech stocks and where they're at and opportunities available and where they, they might be headed. But let's talk about bonds. I am recording this episode right after I did my last one. It's January 23rd, 2023, as I record this episode today. So certainly this episode is coming out like in late March, so literally, or mid-March, so literally almost two months from now. So a lot could have changed between the time I'm recording this episode and uh, when it's coming out. But let me uh, talk about bonds today. I know some of us don't like bonds. (laughs) Some of us have 100% of stocks in our portfolio. Some of us may not be sure what to do in the bond world. As a matter of fact, if if I look back on the last year for myself, last few years, I personally and a lot of client accounts have had a lot of two things. One being short-term type bonds. So um, meaning that the average, the index, the the S&P 500 of the bond world is the aggregate bond index. That is considered an intermediate term bond, meaning that they they last usually for about four or five years when they have the bond. Some might be six, some might be three, but on average, four or five, six years in um, duration, which is a measurement of volatility, but very close to the maturity date. And so, uh, when when you have that versus a short-term bond, so if you look at an index that might go out one years or two years or, or three years or even ultra short-term being two or three months, that's when the bonds mature. And so in these indices, they are constantly replacing the bonds in a short-term bond, in an intermediate-term bond, not very often, in a long-term bond, like a 20-year-plus treasury index, they hold it for years and years and years and years. And what's been interesting as I've studied different indices and looked at different ETFs and looked at the distributions that have been happening, number one, you know, they all go back to to various indices, whether the aggregate bond index, or you could look at something like a 10-year treasury bond um, note. So you can follow that that as an index. So you could type this on big charts or Yahoo or whatever. If I look today on January 23rd, the 10-year bond is 3.5%. If I look where it was a year ago, it was at 1.7%. If I look out two years back in August of 2021, it was at 1.3% or so. 
Uh, if you look back even further in 2021, it was at 1%. So we've gone from 1% to 1.3 to uh, 1.5 to now three and a half. So we've had this huge increase in the last year in 10-year treasury yields where they've literally doubled in uh, the last year. And in the bond world, on an intermediate bond, uh, that that's painful. That sucks. In a year where stocks have been battered, bonds got battered too, particularly intermediates and long terms. So if you look at the aggregate bond index, the aggregate bond index, including uh, dividends that, that get distributed from it, last year was down negative 13% compared to the S&P being pretty close to negative 20. Doesn't help. <laughs> Better than stocks, yes. Uh, but what's the upside, right? What, what's the upside to this? Can a 10-year treasury go back down? Absolutely. Does it go back to one and a half? <sighs> Probably not. Probably not. Could it go back down to two and a half percent? Sure. But could it go up? Could it go up to four and a half? Yeah, that could happen. That could happen. What if it did? What if the the 10 year treasury moved back from three and a half to four and a half? What kind of impact does that look like? And how does that compare to last year? So let's talk about that. So if you look at a formula for how duration impacts bond prices, which often is, is very closely linked to the length of time, so a 10-year treasury will probably have a duration of like eight, all right, eight or nine or something like that. So a move in interest rates becomes multiplied by the duration. So a duration of a 10-year treasury bond for a 1% move in interest rates, we should expect the index to move, let's say the duration is, is nine as an example, negative one if it goes up, so the, the one and a half moves to two and a half, right? So negative one times nine gives us negative 9% on that move. Last year it moved one and a half percent. So you can imagine pretty quickly, we do the math on AGG, right? You know, moving one and a half percent on a 10 year treasury, which AGG is fairly closely linked to because it has a lot of government bonds in it. Negative one and a half percent times, let's say negative, uh, let's say nine as an example, that gives us negative 13 and a half. Huh, what happened to AGG last year? Down negative 13. So I hope you're seeing some of this, this uh, change in how interest rates move. Now, let's talk about short-term bonds. Short-term bonds, let's say your duration is negative two. Let's say your duration is two and interest rates move 1%. You're down negative 2%. So do you see how that same 1% move in interest rates is far, far less on that, that, that intermediate term 10-year treasury, nine times one was negative nine. On our short-term bonds, 
being a two, let's say, maturity, two-year maturity or two-year duration, two times negative one, the same 1% move in interest rates gives us negative two. The same works on the opposite end. If interest rates lower, now it's a positive one times nine gives us a positive 9%. Positive one times two for short-term bonds gives us a positive two. So as interest rates lower one day, it's better to have intermediate-term bonds rather than short-term bonds. And now, a commercial break. Well, my friends, you have probably heard I am now a completely independent financial advisor. And, and as the time that uh, I, I am recording this, the stock market is down. Now, there's a lot of question in terms of where is the market going? Where should I be investing my money? There's no better time than now to get a review of your portfolio and make sure that you are set up properly. As a matter of fact, tax season is around the corner too. Maybe you're looking for some tax, tax strategies and hints and you want someone to talk it over with besides your CPA. Feel free to give my assistant Kyla a call at 612-284-2409 to set up a free 30-minute strategy session with me. Again, call 612-284-209 to set up a free 30-minute strategy session with me. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. And now back to the show. So getting back to what I was saying earlier, I've had a lot of short-term bonds and client accounts. Were we immune from interest rates moving? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Bonds were down, but not as much. Negative three, negative four is a heck of a lot better than negative 13. And as I look forward to this year, I now look at the bonds, particularly intermediate, the aggregate bond index, as being at a good neutral interest rate. If inflation is 3.5% on average, well, now it's yielding probably closer to 3.5%, maybe even more to actually beat inflation with AGG. So the problem, though, is that remember, short-term bonds are so short, right? So as if we've gotten a rise in yield, we've seen that happen very quickly where the rising rates have now been distributing from those investments within e those ETFs that are shorter term, even floating rate type bonds. And in comparison, the index, if you look at the aggregate bond index, the yield has been much slower to climb because those bonds last three, four, five, six, seven years on average. And so it's going to take time for new bonds to come in as old bonds at lower interest rates are going out because we were in a low interest rate environment for like a decade, a decade of ultra low interest rates relative to the average. Now, let's look at the scenario. What if interest rates do, interest rates do rise this year? This year started, uh, ended, or the last year ended very close to like 3.9 was the yield, okay, on a 10-year treasury, 3.9%. Now, keep in mind, there's the duration that we're talking about, but there's also yield. When you're yielding one and a half percent, you know, and you get a negative 13% performance, you're at negative 12. Well, let's say that interest rates did move up a percent and a half now. Again, possible, 
but probably not too likely. All right, so you're at that same negative 13.5%, but now you're getting a 4% interest rate that will help you offset some of that principal fluctuation. So now you're at a negative 9, which sucks, but still a heck of a lot better than negative 12. And you have the possibility, hey, if interest rates lower, now you can actually make money on um, appreciation. At 1.5%, there's not much room <laughs> for yields to go down to to make any money on bonds from the interest rate on top of appreciation. Now we have the possibility maybe of both, maybe of both. At higher interest rates get, the more and more it gets in your favor. So my plan when it comes to bonds and what uh, what we're doing there, let's, uh, let's make sure that um, as interest rates get higher, let's move out of shorter term stuff and move into some of the intermediate stuff because now we got wiggle room. Now we have the possibility interest rates may not go back to one and a half, but what if they go back to two and a half, three? We could make nearly a whole nine or 10% if that happens, if that happens. If interest rates go up, yeah, you could still lose some money on intermediate term bonds, so let's wait and be patient for the next five, six months and see where things are at. If interest rates are stable, if not even a little higher, which is my expectation, now we can get better yields from some of these indices now that they're catching up, that they were maturing uh, much sooner, and so now yields might actually start to rise on those things. So that's my belief is shorter term bonds are still a good place to be, but now intermediates are looking much more attractive. I personally am not advocating moving to intermediates yet, but I very much am looking at it and I am interested in it where I sure as heck haven't been the last few years. And so my friends, I would encourage you, bonds aren't so bad now as they were a year ago. Um, shorter term bonds were a great place to be at. Money market uh, was crappy from an inflation perspective, but at least you didn't lose money. That's shifted now. We are now in a different environment where if you don't have bonds in your portfolio, I sure as heck recommend you might wanna think about it. If you are like 95% in stocks, this market hopefully, maybe, appreciates by the end of the year. If it does, maybe we're up 15, 20%. I don't know, could be down. But if we're up 15, 20%, you might wanna think about selling some of your stocks if bond yields are decent and you get that degree of safety that you don't get in stocks. In my opinion, everybody should have 10% in bonds in their portfolios, just because it helps provide that insurance that, hey, if everything goes to hell in a handbasket, you got some money available that is liquid, safer for you in the event that you need some dough. So, um, and it provides some stability to the portfolio. So if the market's down, 30%, guess what? You could shift money out of the bonds and buy some stocks with it. We ain't there today, and we didn't get there yet this year, but I think it's always good to have some dry powder in the event of really bad stuff happening so you can, you can do it. And maybe 20% or 30% bonds might be better for you. It really depends on your stage of life, your risk tolerance, your liquid cash and resources you have on hand. You're interested, you wanna talk, 
would love to hear from you. Dave at DavidDeniston.com. Dave at D-A-V-I-D-D-E-N-N-I-S-T-O-N.com. And my friends, that wraps up another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now, I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant and you're looking for a second opinion, I'm making myself available for 30-minute strategy sessions. And if you want to arrange a time to meet with me to discuss your situation and see if we might be a good fit for one another, I'd like you to call our office and speak with Kyla. Our phone number is 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. And I look forward to helping you with your financial situation. And now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we are not appropriately registered or excluded. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mentioned insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of an issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issue. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.davidderniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye-bye.